Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Rossafari Zoo News, your look at all the things happening in the world of zoos and aquariums and conservation and general animal stuffness. Stuffness indeed. Uh, yeah, so for those of you who this might be your first time or it's not and you are, just have a really bad memory, uh, quick reminder. Every week I put out a Friday episode on what I just talked about, the whole stuffness of zoos and animals. And uh, you can help contribute by sending me stories, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or tagging me on social media, at rossafari on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, or at uh, rossafaripod on the TikTok machine. And uh, yeah, if you, if you tag me in a thing, I'll say your name, whether I use it in an episode or not. And then you get to be... Rasa famousy, Rasa far, I don't know. But yeah, you'll get to hear your name on a podcast. And if that isn't everybody's dream, then frankly, I don't know what is. Uh, yeah, so y'all, it has been a week. Like literally, it's it's been a week since the last episode dropped, but it has also been a week. Um, so y'all may remember that uh, as this episode dropped last week, I was officially married, and I was out in San Diego and um, doing the honeymoon thing, and it was it was pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. And so if you're caught up, you'll know that uh, last week's episode was recorded on the honeymoon, and we talked about how that was going, and it was awesome. And uh, yeah, San Diego is great. However, we did have a little bit of a hiccup while we were out there, and uh, I'm no longer married. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but unfortunately, and all joking aside, uh, Zoe's best friend of the last 14 years and a dog who has been in my life for the last seven years and was in our wedding, our good buddy, Mr. Caleb, uh, apparently had what seems like it was probably a pretty rare cancer. And uh, he made it through the wedding absolutely perfectly healthily and then basically immediately shut down. We had no idea it was coming. And in a very quick, very sad experience, we had to say goodbye to Mr. Caleb. We were actually at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park doing the roar and snore sleepover when uh, Zoe had to make the call to euthanize her best friend. Uh, it was... Well, let's just say that there was a lot of crying, and and it was hard. But, you know, I think it's a kind of a beautiful thing. First, that Caleb was able to be there for the wedding and be a part of our big day. Uh, and, and also that um, he didn't show any signs until we were gone. It really, I mean, look, we talk about anthropomorphism on here all the time and the merits or not of that. 
But y'all, it really felt like Caleb, who is one of the reasons that I first swiped right on Zoe's profile when when we met, um, got us through the wedding and wanted to be there to 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 hand her off to me as her husband, and uh, and then decided to go and also decided to go at a time where you know we weren't going to be stuck at home and just missing him constantly we were on the road we were in our favorite place we did not let it stop the honeymoon we had an amazing time doing a lot of cool stuff were there tears yeah there were a lot of tears was it a very different vibe than there was uh before caleb passed Absolutely there was. Of course there was. But um, I honestly think that that Zoe was in literally her favorite place in the world when this happened, and the distractions were strong and plentiful, and, and it felt like a final gift from Caleb. So while I will greatly miss Caleb, and while Zoe will greatly, greatly miss Caleb, uh, I really don't think this could have happened in a better way. And he was over 14 years old and and uh, an Aussie mix. So like, you know, this was not entirely unexpected. But the way it happened and the speed with which it happened was just shocking. So uh, RIP Caleb, we love you very much. You are the bestest boy. And uh, thanks for even making your ending be as perfect as you always were. And that uh, story about Caleb also leads to an interesting thing that I've been looking at recently. I remembered this from when I was a little bit younger. And so I looked up something called the Holmes Ray Stress Inventory. This is uh, something that is available through the American Institute of Stress. And basically, it tells you to mark down the point value of each of these life events that has happened to you during the previous year, and then total all of the points. Um, And there are a whole bunch of different things, good and bad things, because good things can still add stress to your life. And basically, the idea is that if you have under 150 points, you have a relatively low amount of uh, susceptibility to stress-induced health breakdowns over the next two years. If you have between 150 to 300 points, that goes up to a 50% chance of a health breakdown uh, due to stress-induced reasons uh, over the next two years. And if you have over 300 points, that percentage moves all the way up to 80%. Uh, So again, if if you have over 300 points, it is up to an 80% chance of that happening. And so I took that score today and I got a 533. So you know how I keep joking around on this podcast about the fact that I'm overdoing it and should probably slow down at some time? Uh, I'm overdoing it and I should probably slow down at some time. And that is what I've learned about my life, and I plan on doing nothing about it. So uh, I guess uh, do as I say, not as I do, people. All right, let's do Zoo News. Well, it's one for the pennies, two for the bears, three for the markers. Now you should care, now won't you listen to Zoo News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoo News? All right, so let's start it off this week with a cool story from our friends at the Akron Zoo in Akron, Ohio. Uh, 
Uh, the Akron Zoo has started doing a new service called the Akron Zoo Augmentative and Alternative Communication Board. Uh, this is a board that is available for guests who are nonverbal, minimally speaking, or language learning to be able to communicate with Akron Zoo staff members and other guests. It was designed specifically for the zoo by Inspire Connections Therapy, and it includes Akron Zoo animals, areas in the park, and frequently asked questions. If this is something that uh, you might be interested in, then uh, you can pick one up free of charge uh, at the ticket counter or um, in every sensory bag if you get one of the sensory bags there. Uh, this is a more permanent one that can be uh, returned with the bag. Uh, the, the one that you can get at the ticket counter is paper and is yours to keep. Uh, or you can go to the website and, you know, do it digitally. Um, and this is basically just a board where guests will be able to point to the icons to communicate with others. So uh, it's just a really cool way that Akron is continuing to be a wildly inclusive zoo, which I love. And while I'm on the subject of the Akron Zoo, they will be hosting the AAZK conference next year, the American Association of Zookeepers. And uh, it's a pretty big deal. And a former guest and good friend of the pod and of me, Kristen Scaglione, is going to be uh, majorly important in that whole thing. So uh, I'm going to be trying to bring you lots of stories about getting ready for that conference and then actually go to the conference and try to bring you some stuff from it. So uh, we'll see. It's a year out, but I'm so proud of Akron being such a little zoo that does so much big stuff. And I'm always excited to share the amazing stories from there. And now we're going to do a couple of sad stories because sometimes that's what you got to do on Zoo News. Uh, a few weeks ago, the Chattanooga Zoo announced that uh, Zari, one of the fennec foxes at their zoo, passed away uh, unexpectedly and that uh, her sister, Zaiti, was struggling with cancer. Uh, unfortunately, despite them doing a really good job removing a mass and trying to take care of Zaiti, uh, at the end of the day, she was going to succumb to her cancer and have a low quality of life. So uh, the team at the zoo decided to euthanize her. So both Fennec Fox sisters are now gone, and they are still waiting for necropsy results. Uh from uh, the this whole experience to say exactly what happened. Um, it, it's a real bummer, and condolences go out to everyone at the Chattanooga Zoo who loved those fennec foxes. That's actually where I got to meet a fennec fox for the first time, and I have to tell you all, that care team is amazing, so it is a bummer. It also bums me out because... Um, uh, I recently found out at the San Diego Zoo that Oringo, uh, one of the fennec foxes who lived there in the ambassador area, ha has passed away. Uh, he had liver cancer, so lots of cancers uh, in, in fennec foxes, which is sad. Um, and Oringo is a fennec fox that I was just very close to and, and really loved to interact with. Uh, and so just, yeah, I hate it when things that I love die. Caleb O'Ringo, you know, rough week. But um, it's interesting to see these couple of cases of cancer and Phoenix uh, taking down some animals right now. Um, just such a bummer. But O'Ringo is greatly missed, and his his care team at the San Diego Zoo is incredible. And uh, they they were telling me about it. Um, 
a few of the people on the team, including uh, his primary keeper, have gotten to know me over my my time at San Diego, and they wanted to make sure that I knew that Oringo had passed. And we had a nice little session talking about how adorable and perfect he was, and and it, it was nice. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I just miss Oringo and wanted to throw that in since we were talking about fennec foxes. And uh, speaking of animals that I love passing away. Uh, Rusty the Red Panda at Pueblo Zoo has passed away at the age of 10, which is not exactly young and spry for a red panda, but is is maybe younger than we would expect in captivity. Um, so curious to, to find out exactly what happened there. Rusty is a pretty famous uh, red panda. He was born at Lincoln Children's Zoo uh, and then was at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, where he escaped briefly. And so he got famous for being one one of those red pandas that escapes. Although, as we all know, red pandas are escape artists, and it's honestly not that surprising. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, Rusty is no longer with us and will be greatly, greatly missed. And then we have one more major death to report on this week, and it is another big one. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that uh, two of the polar bears at the Columbus Zoo had undergone an artificial insemination procedure and that one seemed to be doing well and one seemed to be struggling a little bit and maybe a little confused or not quite herself. Well, that was Anana, and unfortunately... Anana had a major decrease in her health and uh, unfortunately needed to be euthanized as well. Uh, it's really, really sad. The results of the necropsy are not available yet, but will be in a few weeks. And um, yeah, I don't know. As of now, the, the zoo is not officially saying that uh, it has anything to do with the AI procedure or anything. But again, that's not me saying they're not being transparent. They just don't have the necropsy results yet. But I remember as soon as I read the article saying that she was acting a little weird that I got concerned because the polar bear population in the States is shrinking and legally can't be replenished in any way other than through uh, birthing cubs. So yeah, um, I'm guessing this had something to do with that. Uh, but I guess we'll know in a few weeks. And um, regardless, she will be missed and uh, her team will miss her greatly. Aurora is still seeming to do fine. And uh, hopefully that procedure took and there will be another polar bear cub at the Columbus Zoo soon. And then as we transition from sad to happy, um, kind of in the middle, uh, a recent report out of the Central Florida Zoo states that the zoo is still really struggling uh, after the effects of Hurricane Ian. Animals are doing well, but the entrance is impassable with standing flood water. So um, there are lots of keepers still going in and taking care of the animals and everyone's fine, but they're losing a ton of money right now and obviously have higher costs uh, than normal at this time because they are trying to repair everything and, and get over the damage from the storm. So if you are interested in helping out, you can obviously uh, go check out their social media, Central Florida Zoo. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's rough, but Hey, everyone's okay. And they will get better. And, uh, a lot of other zoos in the area have already reached that point. Uh, Naples zoo reopened earlier this week and many other zoos that were hit by Ian are already back to functioning and doing well. So, uh, nice to see the light at the end of the tunnel for most of those zoos. And even though central Florida got hit harder and is still struggling, 
it's coming. That light is coming, and that, that's a good thing. And on a happier still note, nine lions that were rescued from Ukraine have safely completed their travels to their new home at the Wild Animal Sanctuary, a rescue in Colorado. These are lions that were rescued from Biopark Zoo in Odessa, Ukraine, when the Russian invasion first began. Um, and it's just really cool knowing that they have arrived in Colorado and are doing well. And, you know, transporting lions is not easy, especially as far as Ukraine to Colorado. But they are there and going to live out their best lives at this incredible sanctuary. And if you are a fan of baseball, then you know that we are currently in the middle of the ALCS and NLCS to determine what team will go to the World Series. Well, in the uh, National League, the two teams playing against each other right now are the San Diego Padres and the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Philly Zoo and the San Diego Zoo have decided to make it interesting by setting up a little wager. So the official wager is that um, the CEO of the losing team's zoo has to wear the other team's jersey and greet all the guests coming in for an entire day in that jersey. So that's kind of cool. It's a fun little way to get, uh, you know, the community involved with the zoos and the zoos involved with the community. And I like that they're involving the CEOs and I like that they're putting the CEOs out in front of the public because frankly, I go to a lot of zoos and unless I'm interviewing a CEO, I rarely ever see one of those. So uh, that's pretty cool and a fun little way to make the sports ball slightly more interesting. Now, friends, as I'm sure you know, this week we celebrated World Okapi Day, which is a fake holiday created by hashtag Big Ungulate in order to convince the masses that the Okapi is a real animal and not a fake one, even though we on this podcast know the truth. And unfortunately, uh, many things were announced on World Okapi Day to try to further this evil message. Uh, the AZA announced that Audubon Nature should be congratulated on the birth of the first Okapi calf born at the Freeport McMoran Audubon Species Survival Center. All right, so right off the bat, I would like to point out that this so-called Okapi birth, this so-called Okoplet, as we would say on this podcast, except that we know that they're not real— um, was born at some species survival center that no one has heard of and that isn't open to the public? Okay, sure. Come on, people. Wake up. Let's pay attention. And then there was the birth of another Okapi, supposedly. This time at Disney Parks. Think about it, people. Disney Parks, the place that is all automated fake stuff. Uh-huh. We see what's going on here. And then the third story came to us from uh, Joel Sartore, the, the famous Nat Geo photographer, um, who, who said that at the Albuston Zoo, he was able to film Mzimu, which is a supposedly leucistic okapi, a white okapi. Come on, y'all. If they are starting to make them in custom colors, then we know they are not real. 
on a side note, I would like to say thank you to everyone who donated to the Okapi Conservation Fund uh, in order to let them know that we know about the faux copy conspiracy. It's really awesome that that many of you were willing to give $5 just to prove our point. And uh, you can still go and do that because they are always accepting donations. I'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, to, to those of you who made the donation in Caleb's name after seeing my posts about him on Instagram, thank you so much. It was really, really appreciated and, and meant the world to me. So uh, yeah, remember, hashtag faux copy, y'all. We are going to stop this conspiracy. On a side note, if you're like a new listener or one of my listeners that doesn't follow along on Instagram or Facebook, I'm sure that was very confusing, but uh, keep up, y'all. This stuff's fun. The Toledo Zoo is trying something new and interesting. Uh, They have set up an interactive messaging stream to learn more about upcoming events, membership promotions, and more. Uh, Basically, you text ZOO to 419-900-8966, and the Zoo will add you to their texting chain. I think that could be really cool and interesting or really annoying if it's just a bunch of advertisements. And I haven't signed up for it yet because, well, frankly, I'm worried it's going to be a bunch of advertisements. But uh, it's definitely a cool idea, and I'll be curious to see um, if, if that's something that people are interested in at all. And, and if so, if, uh, if it's something that catches on in the zoo world. Okay, this next story is one of those that I could go way deep in the woods on, but I'm not going to. Um, If you're interested, you can just Google this, and and there's a lot more information out there. But a study recently done by um, the San Diego Zoo and some other zoos has shown that the genetic diversity uh, that are in deer in captivity could help those deer avoid the threat of uh, chronic wasting disease, which is uh, an issue that is spreading through white-tailed deer and other cervids uh, in the United States and Canada, as well as places like Scandinavian countries and South Korea right now. Um, Basically, without going super deep on this, by doing such a good job preserving genetic diversity, uh, there is a gene that seems to help these animals fight off the disease that is much more present in captive populations of different types of these deer than uh, in... um, in their wild counterparts. And so even though this is a spreading disease and is a big issue right now, it seems like the best place to be if you are one of these animals is in captivity, even if you do happen to catch it. So this is cool. This is just another one of those fun little things where it's like, this is something we don't even really think about with captivity as a main reason for having zoos. But hey, that genetic diversity helps in ways that we don't even fully understand sometimes. So that's just really cool and exciting. And if you want to go down that rabbit hole, you can look up the study. It's it's very interesting, but it's like really like push up my glasses and talk like this. Kind of nerdy. And I try to avoid that on the pod too much because y'all already know I'm a huge nerd. Anyway, uh, a Shavalsky's horse that has been cloned from cryopreserved DNA of a stallion that was collected 42 years ago uh, has been born and adds some seriously needed 
genetic diversity to the uh, the overall genetic pool of this population. Um, Shavalsky's horses are absolutely incredible and and were extinct in the wild and then brought back. And um, all of the ones that are out in the world today are descended from 12 horses. So um, this is just really important. Yay, genetic diversity, good stuff. And um, just, again, amazing work by the San Diego Zoo. And by the way, if you've noticed that the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is mentioned on here all the time, and a lot of times it's because of them doing cutting-edge stuff that is worlds ahead of what it seems like even other AZA facilities are doing, well, there's actually a reason for that. And I'm going to tickle your butt with a feather and leave it there for a second, other than to say that you're going to find out what that answer is in an upcoming episode of the Ross Safari podcast, because I sat down with Rick Schwartz of the San Diego Zoo uh, Wildlife Alliance, and we talked all things Wildlife Alliance. We talked the history of the zoo. We talked animal welfare. We talked what his job is as an ambassador. And I'm going to be dropping that episode in a little bit, a little bit. And uh, I can't wait to share it with y'all because if you've ever noticed that that zoo is the gold standard amongst zoos and conservation organizations, you're going to really get a deep understanding of why that is. And it's really cool and really encouraging because uh, I think the answer shows that a lot of other facilities can get where San Diego is right now. So look forward to that one, y'all. And that brings us to... Stereotypical Animal Podcast theme song. Conservation news. All right, so we're going to start off in Australia, where 30 years ago, the eastern barred bandicoot was officially declared extinct in the wild. Obviously, there were still some in captivity, hence that term. And so Zoos Victoria started a captive breeding program with the goal of reintroducing the species into the wild. They did so. And they continued to breed in their captive populations and continued to reintroduce. And everything has gone so well that uh, it is no longer considered extinct in the wild. Um, the global breeding program has been officially shut down, which is the first time that a reintroduction breeding program has been shut down because it is no longer necessary because the wild population is not only surviving, but thriving. This is an amazing conservation success story, and hopefully the first of many of those programs that will be able to shut down and uh, not be needed anymore. This is, this is amazing. I feel like I see a lot of stories like this next one, and I guess in some ways that makes sense, but it's always a little sad. Uh, so last year, um, researchers with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration discovered a new species of whale in the Gulf of Mexico. This was uh, known as the Rice's Whale or the Gulf of Mexico Whale, which is not the most creative name, but hey, whatever. And it is a huge, huge whale. It can grow up to 42 feet long and up to 60,000 pounds, um, which is just amazing. Uh, 
unfortunately, um, now that we know this whale species exists, we've done a population study, and it turns out there are only about 50 in the ocean, at least that we have been able to find. Uh, so now they are considered not only a new species, but a critically endangered species, and the scientists that discovered them are now trying to figure out how to save them and set up a uh, some form of conservation strategy that will stop this newly discovered species from going extinct. So yeah, I think that's really interesting, and I, I think that's something that we see a lot, where it's like, oh, we discovered a thing. Oh, there are three of them, and that's why it took us so long to discover them, I guess. Um, but it's still a really sad story, and I, I really hope that they are able to, to save the Gulf of Mexico whale, which, again is the best name they could come up with for a whale that lives in the Gulf of Mexico. But despite the fact that they have a really, you know, basic name, they don't deserve to go extinct. So let's hope the scientists can figure this one out, y'all. And then last but not least in conservation news this week, uh, there has been a recently released State of the Birds report for the United States. Um, and there are basically a couple of things that we can take away from this. Uh, Long-term trends of waterfowl show strong increases where investments in wetland conservation have improved conditions for birds and people. So that's really exciting, and, and it shows that wetland conservation is working, and uh, that's really cool. Yay, super awesome, happy, fun, good news. Now for the reality check. Um, data show birds in the United States are declining overall in every habitat that isn't wetlands. That's forests, grasslands, deserts, and oceans for those paying attention. Um, and this is a report that gets put out. Uh, it's published by 33 leading scientists across many organizations and agencies and to go into just a little more detail about the findings, um, the report includes uh, the fact that more than half of U.S. bird species are on the decline. U.S. grassland birds are amongst the fastest declining, with a 34% loss since 1970. Water birds and ducks in the U.S. have increased by 18% and 34% respectively during that same period. Uh, 70 newly identified tipping point species have each lost 50% or more of their populations in the past 50 years and are on track to lose another half in the next 50 years if nothing changes. Uh, these include uh, some really well-known birds such as golden-winged warblers, rufous hummingbirds, and uh, black-footed albatrosses. Uh, so yeah, not great news, but good news in that it tells us that if we actually do work to preserve the habitats of these birds, they will show population growth. And so let's let's do that, shall we? It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park on other news. All right, so uh, this other news story this week comes from possibly my favorite listener of all, John Rossi. Um, so I was recently at a pet store, also known as the Free Zoo, and uh, stumbled upon a new thing that blew my mind. Y'all have heard of 
glowfish, right? The fish that are all, all like neon-y and like glowy and, and, you know, messed with genetically so that they are neon colors and such. Well, the people that make glowfish have started making glow axolotls. Imagine my surprise when I turned a corner at the free zoo and uh, stumbled upon a neon electric green axolotl that was glowy because it is a glow axolotl. Yeah, suffice to say, my brain is blown. Um, Now, it it seems like people that are into these types of exotic pets really get into genetic modification and color morphs. And and if I'm being completely honest, um, a lot of times these types of things can lead to uh, genetic issues with the animals. There, there are ball pythons and all kinds of herps that that have issues directly because of this um, breeding for appearance thing. Um, and I am not saying that the glowfish or glow axolotl are that because, frankly, I don't know. Uh, but but yeah, I, I, they're glowy axolotls. They're axolotls, and they they glow. They're they're neon. I mean. I kind of want one, even though I don't know if I think they should exist. I mean, let's be honest about it. But but yeah, so uh, if if that is your jam, you can now try to find yourself your very own glowing axolotl. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, and that brings us to your animal holidays for the week. I'm extra excited about this week's because there is no World Okapi Day this week. Uh, So let's see here. Friendly reminder that 2022 is the year of the wildcat. And we are in October, which is Bat Appreciation Month, Croctober, Adopt a Shelter Dog Month, and Squirrel Awareness Month. And I have to tell you all, uh, Zoe has been making it a point to every time we see a squirrel, point it out and tell both it and I just how very aware of it she is this month, which I think is adorable. But hey, I'm biased. Uh, We are also at the start of this uh, episode dropping here. We are rounding out National Wolf Awareness Week, National Veterinary Technician Week, and Slow Loris Outreach Week. So I hope all of you that were trying to reach out to Slow Lorises to, uh, you know, teach them about important things in your life that you were able to get that done because your time is almost up. All of those weeks end on the 22nd. Uh, Now, for our actual days for this week, the 21st is Reptile and Amphibian Awareness Day. Kind of sad that they get one day for all of them, but whatever. And also the anniversary of the U.S. Marine Mammal Protection Act. The 22nd is Wombat Day, so we should all celebrate by trying to poop in perfect cubes, because that's what wombats do. And also, National Make a Dog's Day Day, uh, which I guess is when you're supposed to make a dog happy, so do that. The 23rd is International Snow Leopard Day, and also starts World Lemur Week. The 24th is International Gibbon Day, and also starts Bat Week. 
The 26th is National Mule Day, and those are your animal holidays for the week. And a quick reminder, I pull these from Peppermint Narwhal's Animal Holiday Calendar, which uh, the 2023 edition is now available for pre-order. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Peppermint Narwhal is incredible, and the calendar has made animal holidays a lot more consistent and better on this podcast than when I first started it. So uh, if you would like a weekly spoiler about what you're going to hear on here, then you should go and get that calendar. Uh, Peppermint Narwhal, they're awesome. Check it out. Support them. Yay. All right, and there we have it, folks. Uh, another episode of Zoo News is done and done. Love it. I would like to say thank you to all of my patrons, especially my red level panda patron. I don't know what I just said, but I'm going to leave that in there for y'all because sometimes my brain does that, but I edit my podcast, but I hope that made you laugh. Anyway, let's try this again, especially my red panda level patron, Lara Shank. Uh, and remember, if you would like to support the pod, you can do so for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Safari. And I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed to this week's episode, including Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kevin Williams, Ren Howell, and Emily Rockbuck. Uh, and remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.